How many have been following the news this week? Yep, troubling, isn't it? I mean, if you look at what is going on in Afghanistan, and uh, let's be honest, unless you're just a big fan, a big fan of uh, Islamic terrorism and a safe haven for Islamic terrorists, uh, it, it, unless that's your jam, this has been a bad week. It's been a bad week. I mean, we have put 20 years of blood and treasure into making Afghanistan a haven for democracy in that part of the world, and uh, 20 years later, we've got exactly what we started with, which is the Taliban in control. How do you not lose heart when you're in the middle of something like that? And I know for us, sitting here on a Sunday morning, and that's so far removed from us, we can kind of like, oh, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. But what if you lost a child in the service during that conflict? How would you just even be able to wrap your mind around that? Or what if, God forbid, you were a Christian in Afghanistan right now? Have you read anything at all about how the church is faring in Afghanistan? Maybe you didn't know that there were Christians in Afghanistan, but there are. And some of them, some of the pastors have actually received phone calls. Yes, they do have phones in Afghanistan. Saying to pastors, we know where you live and we're coming for you. When we read the scripture, I think it's important that we grasp the situation in which this is taking place that we're reading, and also that we grasp the people that were on the receiving end of these letters. And in both, case, both cases, they, they were dealing with persecution. The actual persecution that happens in the text we're looking at today is just one of those that would have, you know, if, if they weren't standing on, on, on a sure foundation, it would have knocked them over. It's very much analogous to what's happening in Afghanistan, what the church was dealing with. The letter was going to Theophilus and others that he would share with as part of that early church, and guess what they were dealing with? Same kind of thing, persecution. So how do you survive? How do you survive that much less? How do you have hope? And I believe in the context of what we're looking at today, the answer which you have in your bulletin is that we can endure when we fix our hope on Christ's kingdom. We can endure when we fix our hope on Christ's kingdom. And I hope this doesn't end up feeling very remote to you because no matter how good things are going right now in your life, there will be challenges. And this is a truth we need now. So if life is going really, really, really well for you, I say, great, I am happy to know you're doing well and things are good. Um, pack this away. Make this part of who you are. Recall that uh, Luke has identified that the, his theme for the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. And we know that he uses a lot of similar terms, but he begins the book and he ends the book with these bookends of the kingdom of God. That is to say, he's talking about how Christ mediates to us the rule of God in our lives. With Christ as our Savior, the kingdom of Christ has expanded by one soul, if you will. The rule of God uh, continues in that way until Christ comes, and when he comes, of course, his, his kingdom takes on a whole different, um, a whole different um, appearance, if you will. Okay, But for right now, it's in our hearts. Stephen was stoned to death. And for those who witnessed these things, it would have been 
like watching the, the, the things unfold in Afghanistan right now with the Taliban coming in and taking you know, position in the presidential palace and mocking and, and, and tormenting us. The chaos, the uncertainty, frankly, the, the fear would have, would have been impressive. So how do you endure that? How do you endure that? The answer is you set your hope on the kingdom of God. And if we do that, first of all, we can endure the hatred of the enemy. That's the first thing that we see here with the stoning of Stephen. Look at verse one, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. You know, smartphones have really changed our lives a lot. And uh, one, of the, one of the things they do that maybe you've become so used to it now that you've, it doesn't hit you, but think of all the times you're, you're looking at like a news site, and uh, it will warn you that the following image is, is graphic and will disturb some, meaning if you have a soul, it should disturb you if you click and watch the video because it's gonna be somebody being hacked to death by a machete or blown up or run over in a car. Those images are everywhere today in a way that, when I was growing up, I was a sensitive kid. That would, I don't know, I would have never slept. Uh, you know, or would have gotten hardened really fast. I don't know, one of the two would have happened, but that's, that's the kind of world we live in today. But even knowing that, and even with, with that hard shell that we've developed, how could you watch someone being stoned to death and not just be deeply, deeply disturbed to the core of your being? And yet that's, that's what's happening with Saul. Saul is standing there, and people are dumping their coats at his feet because they want to have their arms free to get in a really good whack on that, on that blasphemer by the name of Stephen, and Saul is watching this take place. Think about that. He, he can hear the sound of these rocks as they are hitting flesh. He can see, he's looking at it, it's so close to him, he can see the wounds opening up and the blood flowing from those wounds. He can probably even smell the blood. And what it tells us here in the grammar, if you, if you look at, at the Greek there, it is suggesting that he not only approved initially of it, it suggests that he approved of it throughout because you could imagine, like, uh, sort of in, in Braveheart, where they, you know, they start to kill uh, Wallace, and, and, uh, and, and people at first are all gung-ho, but then as it goes on, they kind of, uh, they want to turn their face away. Now, this implies that Paul, who then was called Saul, the one that wrote 1 Corinthians 13, maybe you had it at your wedding because it's the most beautiful picture of love that you can find in all of Scripture, Paul, Saul, was standing there at every moment from the moment they began to the moment that Stephen died going, yep, that's exactly what he deserves. He, had, he was full of hatred toward the church. That's just the tip of the iceberg. It's not just Saul, it's the whole council turns on them and it says here, there arose on that day a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem. Isn't that a, a, a picturesque way of putting it? And this is kind of typical of how Luke envisions it. It, it. It's almost like persecution takes on sort of a personified image. You know what I'm saying? A great persecution 
rose against the church. You almost picture the Balrog, you know, and if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you know, rising up out of the mines of, of, of Moria. That's how it feels. It's ominous. How bad was the persecution, you say? Well, look what it says, Acts 8, 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That, that word ravaging is a pretty serious word in English, and it is in Greek as well. It's, it's, a, it's a word that is used of animals mauling their victim. So if you love nature films, you're sick, first of all. Um, <laughs> I don't watch those because that's way too graphic for me. But, you know, you, you love watching the lion catch the wildebeest and have his lunch. And, and, uh, but that's the, that's the imagery here, that Paul is going after them from house to house. In a moment, we're going to see how this fits into God's plan. But what I, what I want to get across to you is that at the moment the church is experiencing it, it just feels like chaos and evil. Hatred. Hatred is just oozing out. Saul developed a reputation for this hatred and brutality, which he tells us about throughout the book of Acts. He comes back to it on several occasions, and then in his letters, he talks about it. I'm just going to pull out some of the words that he uses to define some of the phrases and words he used later to describe his hatred. Breathing threats and murders. Breathing threats and murders evil done to the saints, made havoc, persecuted to death, locked them in prison, tried to make them blaspheme, raging in fury. Do you get the idea? Like, he's not just doing his duty. He hates the Christians. He hates everything they stand for. He loved nothing more than seeing Stephen stoned to, to death. Think about how the church is experiencing that. Do you remember what they experienced just, just a couple chapters earlier? And no, I don't know how many months or years earlier it was, but it wasn't that much earlier. Acts 2.47. This is speaking about the church and, 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 and the experience of the church. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Imagine what that was like. Now, you and I have probably never been part of a church where we enjoyed the favor of everyone. When was the last time we enjoyed the favor of everyone in Great Bend? <laughs> Has that ever happened? Certainly not true today. <laughs> All right? But they had, they'd experienced what it was like for people to go, oh man, these guys, these Christians, you know, I don't know what they're all about, but bring your sick and your demon possessed and just put them in the road. And if this guy Peter walks by and his shadow falls on them, they'll probably be healed. They went from that to this hatred, this vile hatred, and this persecution rising against them. Now, how do you manage that? How do we manage that? How do you deal with evil and, and just a sense of life being out of control? Now, I know that they probably had a high view of God's sovereignty, but do you think they felt it at that moment? Or do you think they just experienced what we're seeing when we look at, at Afghanistan and we look, we're like, why? on earth has that happened? How can that be? And I think that's exactly what they were going for. What is, uh, what is the spiritual answer? What is the biblical answer of how you get through that, how we endure? There'd be a number of actual biblical answers, but in light of the context, what I think it's showing us is that we need to have our heart, our mind, our hope 
set upon the kingdom of God. His kingdom is not being diminished. But we need to get that big picture view. We need to be able to see our little lives. And I know sometimes we, we inflate our lives and our lives' importance. Which is unavoidable when you're a human being. Because you only experience the world through your own eyes. So naturally your own life is pretty important to you. But if, if we're going to endure with hope set on the kingdom of God, we have, we have to see our little lives in light of that big picture view that God has. There must be an ultimate hope on a grander scale. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What is, what is he saying there? He's saying that, that in this life, if, if, if all you see is just what's here in this world and beyond it there's nothing more to think about, then this is not a very good gig because we will face evil. We, we'll face persecution. Right now, and this is so hard for us to grasp, right now, in the country of Afghanistan, you and I have brothers and sisters. They are our brothers and sisters. And they are facing the world just completely unraveling around them. They're not worried about their bank account, their retirement account. They're not worried about whether, you know, when they go on their Alaska cruise, whether they'll actually be able to get on and whether it'll get there and get back. Uh, or whatever it might be that, you know, those things that we get really caught up in. We're just getting ready to take an Alaska cruise in case you haven't figured that out. But um, whatever it is, you know, we get so absorbed. What are they thinking about right now? Survival. We, I may not live past next week. My pastor may be dead tomorrow. I don't know what they're going to do. What, what is happening? Why is God letting this happen? We had 20 years where it looked like this was going to be a real country and where there, there was freedom to worship. And now, what, Lord, is happening? How do you get through that? Unless you have a very big picture of who God is and of the kingdom of Christ. We have to have that deep in who we are. Second of all, if we have that big picture, we can endure as we, as we trust that God has a plan. Now, you may be looking at this going, I don't see anything about a plan in the text. But there is. It's there. Let me, let me show this to you. First of all, you've got to go backward uh, to the beginning of the book of Acts. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, there's the big picture which he returns to at the end of the book of Acts. That's how we know that's sort of the overarching theme is the kingdom of God. So he sets that there. And then five verses later, he says this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So as they are getting the big picture of the kingdom of Christ being proclaimed they're also being given a battle plan, a, a roadmap, a strategy. Namely, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come, 
And when he comes upon you, you're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. It's going to start in Jerusalem, so stay there for a while. That's the plan. But then, at some point, undesignated as of yet, we're going to move it out. We're going to go to Judea. And then from Judea, we're going to go to Samaria. And then, then, and it's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, can we agree that that is the battle plan? Emphasizing here the word plan, that it was laid out in the very first chapter, right? That was the plan. So far, how have they been doing with the plan? Ask yourself that question. Well, they'd done a really good job. They'd obeyed Christ. They'd waited in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. The Holy Spirit brought power. They were his witnesses. They were were wonderful witnesses there. And, And the early church of Jerusalem was a beautiful, gorgeous church. And you may remember we read in, in 5.16 that it started to spread out a little bit, just a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but it was a little bit. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, so that's Judea, if you will, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. So in a minor way, it wasn't so much that they had gone outside of Jerusalem to Judea, but some of Judea had come to them. So that was cool. That was part of the plan. Now, Some people will fault the early church. You'll actually occasionally read this in a commentary or hear somebody say this. They'll say say that the first church really was failing and this is why the persecution came, which was to push them outward. I don't know that that's fair. I mean, Jesus did not say exactly what the time frame was. He just gave them the order of events. He said, that's the strategy. And then today, with all the hatred and the persecution, we read this. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, class. (laughs) What do you see playing itself out now? It's it's the plan, right? He he gave them a plan. He said, this is what's going to happen, and and, and this is is now going to happen. And and there they are in Jerusalem like Liam Neeson surrounded by a a pack of timber wolves, and all at once this persecution starts to drive them out, and they can see that God is moving exactly according to schedule. Right? How many are with me on that? Yes? You see that happening? It's clear. It's God's plan. I don't think there's a New Testament scholar in the world that would not see that as the outworking of chapter 1, verse 8, the plan of God. Here's my question. Do you think they recognized it? If you were in the middle of that, would you recognize it? That is why we need to absorb this truth, because honestly, when you're in the middle of this kind of thing, you're not likely to see it. Anybody ever suffer in here and can give me an amen on that? I mean, have you ever really suffered? Have you ever been in a a church scenario or a family scenario or a personal scenario where chaos was breaking loose? And you were like crying out to God, why? Why? And maybe a little voice in your head was going, I think he's got a plan. (laughs) I think he's got a plan. But, but, but really, the dominant thought is, Lord, why, why on earth, why would you let this happen? We need to, this is one of those truths, and I hope that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan had that truth laid in well 
during, during those times of freedom where they were able to worship and read the scripture and be in the, in the word and prayer, I hope they took that to heart. And I hope we take that to heart because I can't say to you what your life will be like or what suffering you will face, but it, every Christian that, that wants to glorify God is going to suffer in this life. And we need to be prepared. Think about January 8th, 1956. I know it's not September 11th, but I mean, we should be able to remember that, shouldn't we? Do you remember that? No? Okay. Um, it's a very significant date, but I'll, I'll let that pass. Uh, maybe you remember some of the names involved. How many remember um, Ed McCulley? You remember Ed McCulley? I'm looking at Carl. No? Okay. I'll give you a couple more names. Uh, Peter Fleming? Peter Fleming? No? Roger Udarian, is it starting to click yet? Nate Saint, Jim Elliott. Oh, like, like 80% of you are now with me, and the others are still going, what? Well, the, okay, so these five guys that I just named were missionaries. They went to Ecuador to a little-known group of people who aren't rightly called the, the Alca Indians, but that's what they were referred to by the people around. It meant savage. <laughs> And they went there because they were an unreached people group and they were going to bring them the gospel and they spent years preparing for it and, and they landed their, their plane there and they set up a camp and I don't know how many days they actually survived but it wasn't very many and they were speared to death by that tribe. And their wives and the people that knew them were just like, why God? Why? How would you, why would you let this happen? Now, Many years later, we look back at that and we're aware of several things that took place. For one thing, many, many people answered the call to become missionaries having read the story about those five men. I mean, there are countless missionaries that served in the field after that event. So there was a huge, there's huge fruit born from their life and, and, uh, and Nate Saint's sister went back and spent years, decades with them and, and taught them about Christ and led them to the Lord. It was a beautiful, beautiful story. But honestly, not every story gets publicized that well. For every Stephen, there are how many hundreds and thousands of the early church-type uh, Christians that, that were killed and martyred whose names you'll never know until you get to heaven. And how many will be, how many of the people, when you think about Afghanistan, for how many of them will that be the same thing? That's why we need to understand. We need to, we need to get a sense that God is at work. Take hold of that. Now's the time. Not in the evil day. You don't want to wait to the evil day to go, hmm, it seems like Pastor Jay preached a sermon on this at one point. But for the life of me, like most of his sermons, I can't remember a thing. It's like eating Chinese food. Um, no, you, this is the stuff we need to grab hold of. We need to see it in the scripture. We need to lay hold of that. It needs to become so much of a foundation to our life that in the evil day we'll be able to stand. The third part of enduring in light of the kingdom is we can be brave. How many want to be brave? How many even believe that you can be brave? How many believe the Bible would even suggest such a thing? See, I think some people would take offense at this. What do you mean the Bible tells me we can be brave? Don't you know there are people with anxiety disorder? Yeah, I know that. I, I do know that, and I think that's a real thing, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of anxiety disorder. I have people in my own family that, that, that struggle with that. I, I don't know, but what I struggle with it. 
But I will tell you, I believe that, that, that it is clear that, that we can be brave. And there are two places I see it in the text. Because you may be looking at the text going, I don't see it. Where, where does it say that we can be brave? Okay, first of all, in the first verse, it says they were scattered except the apostles. Now, Luke uses hyperbole a lot. You know, hyperbole is like a real black and white, you know, like you have to hate your family if you're going to follow Christ. That, that's hyperbole. Um, when, when it says all, doesn't mean just 12 men were left and nothing more. But the suggestion there is, is that some of the Hebrew Christians, especially the apostles and their just immediate you know, group of people, uh, stayed. But then all the rest, the, mostly the Hellenists that we've talked about, uh, left and were scattered. Can you imagine the sense of loss for that fellowship? See, a year ago, if I'd asked that question, you'd go, no, I can't imagine it all. And right now you're thinking... Yeah, I can totally imagine that. When all of a sudden, half your congregation or three-quarters gets slung to the four corners of Kansas, you're kind of like, yeah, I, I, I think I, I have a sort of a picture of that. But only it's a lot worse for them. Think about all those little snippets, those snapshots we talked about. There were three snapshots of the early church of Jerusalem. You remember just how beautiful they were? The harmony, the, the, the fruit, the joy, the sharing, all of that, all of these people, so such a diverse community. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. All these people from all over the diaspora, the, the world at that time that had come to Jerusalem, and it was just a beautiful thing. And now the, the apostles are just standing there in, in kind of an empty room, more or less. And they've got to be just scratching their head. And yet consider the bravery of the apostles that they said, no, we're not leaving. And you can think of all the considerations. Well, there's hardly anyone left here. Well, we, we've been rejected. Hey, maybe we should go after them. I mean, they're going to need people. There, but, but, but no, they stayed. They said, you know what? God put us here. We are going to stay. Now, now Peter went out on missionary trips and so forth, but, but he stayed in Jerusalem along with the other apostles. That takes guts, doesn't it? You know, there, there will be Christians in Afghanistan that will, that will get out of Afghanistan. You can, you can just put money on that. There will be those that manage to flee and escape Afghanistan. Some won't have the opportunity. And there will be some, maybe pastors, who knows, that will, that will have an opportunity. And they will say, nope, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay here. Now, who would be foolish enough to do that? If you believe, though, that this is where you're meant to serve, this is where you're called, then, then you're going to bravely stay in that place. So there's bravery there. Then look at verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Some people think that devout there is referring to devout Jewish men, and I could go into the explanation of why that is, why some people think that. I'm not persuaded necessarily by that argument, but here's the deal. Whether these are Christians or soon-to-be Christians, it is the bravery of Stephen. It is the purity and beauty of his life. It is the, it is the gospel, I believe, that, that empowers and, and, and encourages these men to be brave and to bury him. It took guts. Now, if you were stoned for being a, a blasphemer, you were allowed to be buried. That was, it was kind of considered a thing. Let's get rid of the dead bodies, right? So yeah, you can bury him. We'll let you do that. But do you know what they weren't supposed to do? Just a guess here. 
lament. They weren't allowed to lament them. Yeah, lament, that was, a, that was like a very formal big thing. It was wailing and weeping. It could go on a long time. Like when Jacob died, it was 70, 70 days of lament. When Moses died, it was 30. So these men that, that bury Stephen are making a public profession of sorts of connecting themselves with Stephen by burying him and then bravely lamenting him when that would have just brought the ire of the Jewish leaders. We can be brave. We can be brave. Today we have come to a place and it's all well and good that, that we understand that, that not everybody feels brave and that some people feel scared and that there's such a thing as anxiety and some people are more prone to anxiety and some people need to be on meds for anxiety. And I understand that. I'm not questioning that. But that doesn't mean that, that when the Scripture says that we ought to be brave that we have to deny that truth. The, the Scripture gives us the way. If you, if you suffer from anxiety, Get help, but understand the Scripture gives you ground to stand on. It says to you, you don't have to be afraid of what others are afraid of. God, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The kingdom of Christ will not perish, though everything else be washed away by the winds and the waves that surround us. You can be afraid of those things, but you're not going to be afraid of Christ and of his kingdom, which, which is never going to end. When Hezekiah was surrounded by the Assyrian army, good King Hezekiah, you remember him. and you, We've talked about this not so long ago, but you'll remember there was that Rabshakeh dude that came up and shouted taunts at them on the wall and... And there was a letter from Sennacherib, the, the Assyrian king, and they took it to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was fearful. He had anxiety. And he took the letter, and he went to the temple, and he, he laid it out before the Lord, and he tore his robe, and, and Isaiah came to him. You may, do you remember what Isaiah said? He said, Hezekiah, hey, dude, I'm so sorry that you feel this way. We all get scared from time to time. It's normal. It's a normal human condition. Do not be embarrassed that you're feeling a little frightened right now. You don't remember that? It's not what he said. What did he say? He, he, he comes to him and he says, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We have a right and a privilege to be brave even in the face of unmitigated disaster. Let me say that again. As Christians, as believers in Christ, we have the right to be courageous in the midst of unmitigated disaster. What does it say in Psalm 46? It says that, that even if the earth gives way and the mountains crash into the heart of the sea, we will not what? Fear, for God is with us. God is our ever-present help in times of trouble, and Christ's kingdom will not end. That is where our, yeah, we'll, Will the landscape change around us? Yeah. Even in a good church, will the landscape change around us? And people will have to leave, and God in his providence will move people around? Sure. Should we be afraid? No. No. Christ's kingdom will not end. His kingdom is an everlasting Kingdom. We can be brave. You know, I remember it was on a date, let's see, September 11th, uh, about 20 years ago, where someone said, let's roll in the face of 
certain death. Wouldn't that be a good, good heart attitude to have in the church? And I believe we, we should. I believe we can. Finally, we must preach the word. And this is where you might call me Captain Obvious. Um, that's okay. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The Bible refers to us as sojourners. But these people that were being slung out from Jerusalem were more than sojourners. They were refugees. They left Jerusalem with nothing more probably than the shirts on their back. In modern terms, there would have been Red Cross tent cities set up to receive them. I mean, they unfortunately did not have that to fall back on. But they, they're, they're in a very, very troubled and bad way. What's amazing to me is that they flee Jerusalem for these very practical reasons. But as they go, they take their newfound faith with them and they preach Christ. Now think about it for a moment. How amazing is that? How long have they been Christians? Not very long. You have been a Christian longer than most of these people had. I don't care who's hearing that. There's very few of you that that's not true of. Most of us that hear this, you have been a Christian longer than most of these people had. And they have just experienced the most mind-blowing cataclysm that you could imagine. The church, the only church you'd ever known, had just been thrown to the four winds. Persecution is breaking loose. People are, are pursuing you from house to house. You're fleeing. But as you go, you're preaching Christ. How did they know to do that? How, did, how do you think they knew to do that? Maybe, maybe they remembered words that the apostles had spoken to them. You know, they were sitting under the teaching of the apostles. Maybe they remember Peter standing in front of them one day saying, look, when, when, before Jesus went up into heaven and, and disappeared before our eyes, um, he told us about the kingdom of God and the, his kingdom and, and he said that, that it would go this way and that we'd begin in Jerusalem, but that it wouldn't stay in Jerusalem, that we would go to Judea and Samaria. And maybe that was ringing in their ears, you think? Or maybe it was just the overflow of, of, of their relationship with Christ. They'd been part of a wonderful church. They'd heard the gospel. They'd embraced the gospel. They knew Christ. They had the Holy Spirit living in them. And so wherever they went, they preached the word of God. I love that, don't you? So here's my question to us. I'm really getting close to the end here, but it's an important question that I want to ask. You can write this question down if you like. Are you situated... I'm going slow so you can write it down. Are you situated in the mindset, in the mindset of Christ's kingdom? Do you understand what I'm asking? I'm just, I'm just taking the whole sermon here and the whole text, and I'm kind of wrapping it into one idea that if you are a Christian, if you have attained to some maturity, your whole view of the universe, your whole understanding of yourself should, should be so rooted and sustained in the gospel that you understand your life in terms of his kingdom. And if that's where you are, you're in the right place. You are in the, and I'm not talking about, I mean, you are in the right place being here at Grace, obviously, but that's not, that's not actually what I'm saying. 
I'm saying you're in the right place spiritually if you are situated in that because if you suddenly contract cancer and God puts you in places like hospitals and cancer treatment centers and, and, and support groups, you'll know that whatever else is true, you will know that in the midst of this, God is working his kingdom purposes. Amen? You see, here's the deal. God loves you. <laughs> he does. He does. He loves you. He loves you so much. He showed his love to you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He drew you by the power of his spirit into that relationship with himself. However, in his love... God still has his purposes, his providential purposes for the kingdom of his son. He wants that kingdom to, to go everywhere. And you're part of that. That's what your life, your life matters. So God can put you in a war zone. God is free to put you in Afghanistan or have you be born in Afghanistan, stay in Afghanistan, whatever it might be. He can put you in a refugee camp. He can put you at a rest stop along a highway at the right moment. He can, he can have you at the point of a train derailment. He can send you to an unreached tribe, a UPG, an unreached people group. And he can have you speared on day number six. Or he can have you stay there for decades sharing your faith and teaching a people who are coming to know him. You... We don't have a choice over, over what his plan for our life is, but we can see the ultimate plan. See, I know the plan that God has for me and, and for every believer in here. It's the kingdom of Christ. Christ is coming again, and when he does, it will be visible to everyone. Everyone that's re received him or rejected him will see him. Every eye will see him, and he will establish his, his kingdom on on. on earth in a new heaven and a new earth that's what we're moving toward and everything that we do as as a christian every breath we take is in some sense for that kingdom for his glory god works all things for his glory and for the good of those who love him so brothers and sisters endure the hatred you can endure the hatred trust god's plan be brave and preach the gospel. Preach the word. If you don't know him today, um, maybe you're sitting here and thinking, well, this sermon really wasn't for me. And that might be true, by and large. This was for God's people to apply to their hearts. But if you don't know him, maybe you would look at that and say, you know what? I can't say that there's something bigger that, that I'm really living for. I can't say that there's an ultimate reality bigger than my little life. I, I don't, if there is, I don't know what it is. And if that, if that thought disturbs you, and if, and if you are drawn to that, that kingdom of Jesus Christ today, then what you need to do is turn from going your own way. Turn from your sin, confess your sin, and turn to Jesus Christ. Look upon him, believe in him, name him as your Lord and as your Savior this day. And, and not only will he save you, but he will bring you into those kingdom purposes that we were talking about. And you can endure whatever, whatever comes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we look at the early church and we see something that in one, in, in one way it frightens us to think of even going through half of what they went through 
But Lord, our brothers and sisters throughout the world are going through similar things, and in some cases, it, it, it even looks worse than that. Lord, we pray for them. We pray right now today that you will lift their vision, cast their faith completely upon your purposes for your kingdom, and that they will see that, that they will see that and not just see their own suffering or their own fear. Help them to be brave. Help them to endure the hatred. Lord, help them, even in the midst of that, to preach the word. And Lord, situate us so completely in the mindset of your kingdom that we will respond in the right way when those kinds of days come upon us. Lord, that you might be glorified in all that we do and say, that you might receive the glory that, you're, that we might do all things for the purpose of your kingdom, and Lord, and that we might trust that in all those things you're working for our good. We pray that someone here today or someone listening might hear the gospel and be brave and turn and, and, and come to you and know you, Lord, and find salvation and find that place in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.